Guys, I am fired up to get into the Word of God with you today. We are in Isaiah chapter 9. We have been journeying through this Christmas series, uh, looking at these names of Jesus, looking at who he is. We have seen how Jesus is our wonderful counselor, how he's our everlasting father, how he's our mighty God. And today we get to see Jesus as the prince of peace. This is part four. Jesus is the prince of peace. Of peace. I don't know that there's any title in scripture about Jesus save perhaps Emmanuel that's as powerful as this one. This one cuts to the heart of what every single one of us needs in every generation historically. Down through history, everyone has needed the Prince of Peace, and yet I think there are some unique characteristics of our generation where this aspect of Christ's character maybe is even more necessary for us than it has been for some others. We need some peace. Hunter said this week he, he didn't have a whole lot of peace. Uh, he said a lot of it was self-inflicted, and I know what that is like as well. Um, th- there's so many things that seem to just disturb and disrupt the peace in our lives. And yet Jesus has come as the Prince of Peace. I want to show it to you in Scripture, not just so you hear me say it. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet is speaking about the Messiah, about the Savior who is going to come, about Jesus. 700 years before Jesus would be born, and he says this, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I love how the Scripture personalizes it. Man, this is us. And it not just personalizes it, but it makes it corporate. It's not just to me. He's to us. Man, to, to all of us together, there's something here that we all need, that we all share, that he's come for each of us. And the government will be on his shoulders. How many of you know sometimes the government is the ones who disturb the peace, right? Sometimes the government is the one who, who, who's causing some issues, the Jews understood this very innately. At this point in time, they were under a wicked government. Under an evil king, there was no peace in Judah, the southern kingdom, where this prophecy is given at this point in time. There's the looming prediction, prophecy of of captivity, of exile that is to come. There's a war that they're about to enter into. They're about to join with their northern neighbors, Israel, and go to war with Assyria. There's a lack of peace In all kinds of ways, most of it through poor leadership. Most of it because of a wicked and evil king. And so God says there's a king coming that the government will rest on his shoulders. He will carry this, and it's going to be a different kind of government than anything you've seen. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Can you just say Prince of Peace today? Doesn't it just kind of roll off the tongue? Doesn't it just feel good to declare there's a Prince of Peace? I want to show you the, the next verse, the last verse in this specific prophecy in Isaiah. It says this. It says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The Prince of Peace has come to bring a peace that doesn't stop. A 
a forever peace, an eternal peace, a constant peace, a continual peace. There will be no end to the peace he is going to bring. Now, we know that peace hasn't come yet, right? Because you got a day and a moment and a time where the peace ends in your life. You've got moments and seasons where it seems like there is no peace. And so this prophecy was of Jesus coming 700 years after this, 2,000 years before us. But, But it's an ultimate eternal prophecy about what Jesus will do when he returns, when he comes back. He's going to install a government that has no end and a peace that has no end. It says, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What I want to do, and I have a shortened amount of time to do it today, and the most material on any of these names. I got more stuff to tell you about the Prince of Peace, more stuff to talk to you about than I have on any of these names, and I got less time because we're doing communion today, but it's also the perfect day for us to do communion, and you'll see why. But I want to take you through what do these words mean. We've been going through the Hebrew of each of these names of Jesus, so let's continue with that. Prince, the Hebrew for prince is Seir. Seir means prince, Ruler, leader, chief, chieftain, official, captain. So so it kind of carries all of these connotations. So when we think of prince, we think of the son of the king, right? It's an appropriate description of Jesus as he is the son of God, the son of the one who ultimately sits on the throne. I love the idea of Jesus as, as captain or commander here, and I'll show you why. He's, he's the chief, he's in charge, uh, and I'll show you why, because the next word is one you may be familiar with. I know we're allowed a lot of Hebrew scholars in the room, right? Uh, you may actually know this one. Peace in Hebrew is shalom. Shalom. Uh, we actually have a shalom in our church. Uh, it's named peace. Uh, shalom means more than, than what, just what we would think of as peace. Uh, it means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. It carries the connotation of of wholeness. Shalom was actually a greeting in Hebrew. You wouldn't just say hello. You wouldn't just say what's up. You just say shalom. They would actually speak a blessing over each other when they saw each other. And they didn't just use it as a greeting. They also used it as as a closing. So they would leave and they would speak peace over each other as they left. I think that's pretty amazing. Not just like peace, right? Not the way that we do it. Not just like trying to be cool. Like, actually right. Not deuces, but peace. They're pronouncing the blessing of peace over one another's lives. They understood that there was power in the tongue, that God had given us the ability to speak life and death over one another, and they would speak peace. Why do they speak peace? I think because Peace is something that each of our hearts yearns for. All of us are seeking peace. All of us are searching for peace. All of us have a restlessness because there is a lack of peace. Creation itself groans for peace. The peace of God for 
All of us, we desire that. And so the Jews, God's chosen people, time and again would speak shalom over one another. They spoke peace. I think it's pretty beautiful. I think it's pretty powerful. See, Isaiah tells us that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. He's our prince of peace. Prince of peace is the climactic characteristic of Jesus. And I don't think that's accidental. I don't think the prophet is just randomly throwing out four names and lands on Prince of Peace last. I think this is the cherry on top. This is the crown that Jesus wears. He is the Prince of Peace. Why? Because what did Jesus ultimately come to do? Jesus ultimately came to restore God's original design. God created Adam and Eve. He placed them in the garden, and they were at perfect peace with one another, in themselves, and with God. God actually walked with them in the cool of the evening. They only had peace. They didn't understand anything but peace until they sinned. They broke covenant, and now when sin comes into the world, death comes into the world, sickness comes into the world, all these things come into the world. What does that bring? It brings a lack of peace. And so Jesus, on his rescue mission as the Messiah, he comes to restore peace, to restore us to relationship and unity with the Father, to restore us to relationship and unity to one another, to give us internal peace with ourselves. That is an incredible vision, a massive target for God to give because we live in a world so devoid of peace. Why do we have so much addiction in our society? Because people turn to a bottle trying to find peace. Why is there an epidemic of opioid explosion right now? Because people will do anything to get a moment that feels like peace. Why are so many of our men and a far greater number than we realize of our women addicted to pornography? Because all of us are seeking and grasping for a moment of peace. And Jesus, Ser Shalom, the Prince of Peace, comes to give us a deep peace, a fulfilling peace, an everlasting peace. Not a moment of peace, not an escape, not a, a moment where we can turn our back on the chaos and feel like we may be in control, feel like we may be comforted, feel like we may have some significance. He comes to give us a peace that is everlasting and supernatural. Here's what I love about Jesus. He isn't just the prince who brings peace. He's the prince of peace. In other words, peace is who he is. In other words, when he shows up in our lives, when we make room for him to go back to our theme for the year, the more room we make for Jesus, the more room we're making for peace. The more Jesus is evident in our lives, the more the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives, the more peace we are walking in. Because he's the prince of peace. He is Ser Shalom. When he walks into the room, peace comes with him. If 
we're lined up with him, if we're making room for him. The reality is before we come to Christ, the Bible says we're enemies of God. So we shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't embrace the Prince of Peace. Because the world, he doesn't feel like peace. The world has chosen to oppose his agenda, to oppose what he comes to bring. They're in conflict with him. When we see Satanist groups, hypothetically, try to create something in our schools, that shouldn't throw us because the world is pushing back against the Prince of Peace. That doesn't mean that we celebrate it or we embrace it. Obviously, we stand up against it, but we don't have to get disturbed by it. We don't have to get freaked out by it. Jesus told us this would come. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Well, guess what? They hate him. But Jesus will ultimately bring total victory and complete shalom. Absolute peace. It's his climactic characteristic. It means that it's the greatest of these. It also means it's the last. It doesn't show up quite as early as all the rest, not in its completeness. When the job is totally done and Jesus steps back, there will be full peace in our lives. See, Jesus brings shalom to our entire being. He brings mental shalom, emotional shalom, relational shalom. He brings physical shalom, right? Like when Jesus rules and reigns, there will be no more war. There will be no more fighting. There will be no more issues. In fact, in, in Scripture, if we go back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. It brings in sin, death, and this lack of peace is created in people's lives. The very next story after the fall is Cain and Abel. Peace is disrupted, and the next thing we see, we see humanity actually take the life of another human. We, we see rivalry and jealousy and envy. All of these interpersonal issues rise up from the lack of peace that sin brings into our lives. All this destruction is downstream of the disruption of peace. And so Jesus comes to bring peace to our entire being. I want to make sure we have enough time for communion, so I'm going to get into my points. I want to give you three responses to the Prince of Peace. Three responses to Seir Shalom today. What do we do with the one who comes to bring peace? The first response we must make as believers is we have to receive his peace. Receive it. See, peace is a gift of God. It is not something you can conjure up. It is not something you can manufacture. It's not something you can make happen. <coughs> Only God can give peace. Why? Because he's the prince of peace. Jesus is the commander of peace, the captain of peace. And so if we want peace, we can't find it anywhere else. We can't find it in a substance. We can't find it in something we put into our bodies. We can't find it in something we do with our bodies. The only place we can find peace is in the Prince of Peace, in Sarah Shalom. So we got to receive it. Romans 15, 13 puts it this way. The Apostle Paul to the Romans says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. See, God's the one who fills us with peace. May he fill you with peace. Why? As you trust in him. What is peace a byproduct of? It's a byproduct of faith. The more faith you have, the more peace you're going to have. The less faith you walk in, the more chaos you're going to have. 
It's a byproduct. It naturally happens. The more that I trust him, the more of my life I place in his hands, the more I step back and I take my hands off of things and give him control rather than walking in my own control, it seems backwards. It seems the more control I have, the more peace I'll have. But the more I grab a hold of it, the more I drive myself nuts. The more I disturb things, the more I mess things up. And so peace is a byproduct of trusting in God. When I trust in him, when I have faith in him, all of a sudden peace starts rising up in my life. It doesn't just say peace. It says joy too, by the way. That's not today's message, but sign me up for a fullness of joy. Take a greater dosage of that as well. Just may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Not a little joy. All peace, not, not, not a, a shred of peace, all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I believe. I believe the day that a generation of believers rises up that trusts in God to such a degree that they get fullness of joy and fullness of peace so much that they're overflowing with hope, I think the world is going to throw itself at trying to become part of that kind of church. There's so much attractiveness in that. Man, when God's people walk in the fullness of hope, we're overflowing with hope. There's a hopeless world out there, a world that's starving for hope, a world that's desperate for hope. If we'll receive what God's already paid for us to have, if we'll receive who Jesus is in our lives, they're not going to hold themselves back. What a statement. May you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we got to receive that today. We don't manufacture that. We don't conjure that up. We don't make a to-do list and say, I'm going to overflow with hope. It happens because we trust in him. We place our faith in him, and it just begins to, to birth in our lives. First of all, we got to receive his peace. Can I just speak that over you today? Over the chaos of whatever your family Christmas is going to look like and the stress of paying for gifts. The stress of, I got to go to 14 different Christmases. We got to make these rounds. The stress of, I'm going to be with this family member who drives me nuts. Or this family member who, who man, there, there's this lack of peace in this relationship. Receive the peace of God today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace. May you walk in that. Receive it. The first thing we got to do is we got to receive his peace. Secondly, we got to rest in his peace. Rest in his peace. See, the mistake that we often make as Christians is we, we hear what the word of God says, and then we build all these to-do lists and all the stuff that we got to go out and accomplish. And I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And yes, there is work to do. Yes, there are good works that he has prepared for us to do. Don't, don't get me wrong, but ultimately, we're called to rest in him. He's done the work. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. When I was first started here as youth pastor, we had... A group of girls who came from the DeSoto Sunrise home very, very shortly after I started. And these girls had all kinds of brokenness. Sexual molestation victims and rape victims and, man, daddy issues and mom issues and, and all of this stuff. And I remember they, eating disorders. I mean, all, all kinds of stuff. And I remember just feeling this massive burden for these girls. I was so broken for these girls, and I, I couldn't leave it at the office. I mean, everywhere I went, I was just broken by, man, 
how awful the circumstances were in these girls' lives. And I remember very, very clearly, this was probably six, eight months into my, my time as youth pastor here. God placed the conviction on me. He said, you're not their savior. He said, let me do that. You can't. You can try. You can do everything you know. You can't fix it. You can't replace it. You're not called to be the father of the fatherless. I'll be the father of the fatherless. Didn't mean I didn't have a role to play. Didn't mean I wasn't supposed to be in their lives, but I was putting this pressure on myself to be the one who made everything okay. And God said, you can't. That's not what you're designed to do. That's not what I created you for. That's not what I called you for. And ultimately, if you do, you'll fail. And what was I doing? I was just bringing all kinds of stress and anxiety on myself. I was making myself useless for my other students, for my other responsibilities, because I had so much pressure about these girls. God said, I got them. They're mine. Those are my daughters. I'm the father. So, yes, we got a role to play. But our job is not to make everything better. Our job is to step in and respond to the Holy Spirit when he says to speak life, go speak life. When he says to be generous, go be generous. When he says to, to be there and give them time and attention, be, give them time and attention. But our job isn't to fix anybody. Our job's not even to fix ourselves. We can't. When we get a hold of that, there's a rest that that brings. Right? He's the God of rest. He's the God who created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. And the seventh day they wake up and God says, take the day off. That's so counterintuitive to my American Christian mindset where I want to go out and do everything and make everything happen. But Adam and Eve's first day, they wake up on planet Earth. God says, let's just rest today. Let's just chill today. Just, just rest in my peace. That's the God of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath. Not that we have to religiously follow that, but he's the God who says, I came to give you rest. You know what rest is? Rest is peace. You know what happens when we go to heaven? Hebrews says that we will fully enter into his rest. There's a day coming when there will be total peace total rest. And the wild thing is it doesn't mean that there's not work in heaven. There is work in heaven. There is work in eternity. There is responsibility, but it's restful work. It's not work that, that, that causes anxiety and stress and, and causes us to freak out. It's work that we enjoy, work that's fruitful, work that's productive. There's work, but it's not work like we know work, because now we're under a curse on work. But in heaven, his curse would be lifted. See, work actually existed before the curse. Adam had responsibility before the curse came. But that the work was different kind of work. It felt different. It was a work in peace. So we got to rest in his peace. Philippians 4, 7 says it this way. Pastor Dwindle already referenced this for us this morning. It says this. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends, other translation says passes. I like transcends because that means transcends means it's above. It goes beyond all understanding. What will it do? It will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus. When your mind is guarded by peace, you have rest. Some of us need to start just claiming that verse. We got to start speaking that verse over our life every day. Because your mind is not guarded by peace. Your, your, your mind, man, some, 
we, we went through a season early this year where, where we were having nightmares just about every night. There were multiple situations going on, and every time we went to sleep, it was just like another bad dream, another bad dream. And, and we had some elders just pray peace over us. And just take authority over that and praise God. We've, I can't say that we haven't had a single nightmare since then, but it hasn't been nearly as common or nearly, nearly, nearly as frequent. God wants to guard your mind with peace. It's his promise that he'll do it. It says, may the peace of God which transcends, it passes understanding. You, that means even in the midst of bad situations. This doesn't mean nothing, no bad circumstances will come. It doesn't mean you're never going to have pain or you're never going to have suffering. That's not the promise of God. Unfortunately, we live in a broken world and there's going to be all kinds of stuff that can disrupt and disturb peace. But he says, even in the midst of it, it'll transcend your understanding. It won't even make sense. People look at you and like, how can, how can you still have it together with what you're going through? How, how can you still be, be, be walking in joy? How can you still be going to work? How, how are you capable of, of doing these things? It doesn't even make sense. That's the peace that God has for you. Skip down another verse. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into the practice and the God of peace will be with you. So first, verse 7 talks about the peace of God. You know why we have the peace of God? Because we have the God of peace. The peace of God is the byproduct of the God of peace. We don't get peace without God. He's the Prince of Peace, Sir Salome. When he comes, when he shows up, when Jesus walks in the room, now there's peace. So when he prays that the peace of God would guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus, what's he praying? He's praying that the Prince of Peace will be posted up through his Holy Spirit, guarding your heart and your mind. You get the peace of God because you have the God. Peace. So we're going to receive his peace. We're going to rest in his peace. And then number three, we're going to relay his peace. We're going to relay his peace. Galatians 5.22 very, very famously says, but the fruit of the spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace. And it goes on. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right, these, these nine characteristics. But very early on the list, we see peace. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You've probably heard me teach on this before, but it was so revolutionary for me, and, and, and I still have to, like, step back and, and walk in it because it's, it's hard for me, uh, just the, the way that, that I'm wired, the way that I grew up, and to, to understand and comprehend this. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not God's assignment list for you. This is not his nine, you got to go be like this list. This is not his to-do list for believers. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. That you've made room for him. The more room you make for the Holy Spirit, the more love you walk in. The more joy you walk in. The more peace you receive, the more patience you have, the more self-control, the more gentleness, the more kindness, on and on and on down the list, right? These are not things that, that we have to white-knuckle and determine, all right, I'm going to walk in peace today, darn it, right? Now, you can confess it, yes, but, but it's not something that you can manufacture. It's not something you can fabricate and make happen in your life. It only comes as the byproduct of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so for so long, I thought, I have to do all these things. I got I to gotta get more patience. I got to get more self-control. I don't have self-control. 
It is not part of me. It is not in my DNA. It is not in my makeup. If you knew my family, you would understand what I'm talking about. We don't have it. It is not a Southern characteristic. We, we missed that part of the assembly line, okay? But the Holy Spirit has self-control. And when the Holy Spirit is engaged, when I'm allowing him to move in my life, he just bears the fruit of self-control. It just happens. It just shows up. Conversely, when I'm not engaged with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, you got some natural self-control. You got some natural discipline. You were born with that. Be, consider yourself blessed. The rest of us hate you. That's okay. But God's even got a level of self-control for you that you'll never walk in apart from his Holy Spirit. He's got a level of peace for you that you'll never walk in apart from his Holy Spirit. It's the fruit. See, the reality is you are now an agent of peace. You're an agent of peace as the worship team comes down and we prepare for communion. I want to talk to you about this. You're called to represent peace because you represent the Prince of Peace. And what that means is in your relationships, in your workplace, in your family, in your Christmas holiday, in whatever you have going on in your life, you're called to bring peace with you. Not of your own. Not that you can make up and manufacture. But you're called to carry the peace that God has placed in you into those situations. We're not called to react to situations the way that the world reacts. We're not called to, to respond out of flesh. I get it. Man, I, I understand driving down Goodman Road, there's flesh that rises up in my life. It just has, has this frequency that it likes to appear. Standing in line, man, I am not a patient person, right? But what am I? I'm an agent of peace. And so the way I talk to that employee, I maybe even need to confront some things. I may need to point some things out, like, hey, you guys said this, but you didn't do it, or this rang up the wrong price, or whatever it might be. But even in the midst of that confrontation, I can bring peace. It's the way that I handle it. It's the way that I relay it. And it's not out of myself. It's out of the Holy Spirit in me. Because he loves that person on the other side of that conversation. He loves that person that doesn't know how to drive. That cut me off, right? He created that person. He made them in his image. He is Sarah Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And I'm an agent of peace. I represent the Prince of that the Bible calls us to be imitators of Christ. If anywhere he goes, he brings peace, then anywhere we go, we better be bringing peace with us. Matthew 5, 9 puts it this way. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Most of my life, I've been a peacekeeper. See, a peacekeeper is really good at avoiding problems and avoiding issues and ignoring them and just leaving them there because I don't want to mess up the peace. The problem with that is when there's this issue there that's being avoided, there's not peace. Peace is not simply the lack of conflict. 
Peace is the presence of God. It's his goodness, his blessing, his internal peace, external peace. It's every kind of peace. And where there's an issue that's just being worked around, it's just being avoided, it's acting like it doesn't exist, that's not peace. So Jesus calls us to be peace. Makers. A peacemaker works through the issue, works through the problem to get to peace on the other side. But it works through the problem in a godly kind of way. See, we got some of us that are like me and we're naturally avoid conflict. We got others who like, man, we just roll up our sleeves. We're ready to go. We love conflict. Let's go. Let, let me tell you how it is, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I just speak the truth, right? Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. We can't do that on our own. We're not peacemakers, but he is. And so when we let him work through us, when we're agents of peace, we get to that place. Let me show you what a peacemaker is. Jesus Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. He saw an issue, a problem that separated us and God. And so he stepped in to the middle. He stepped into the problem. In order to make peace, he had to go through something very unpeaceful. He had to suffer some deep pain, some deep conflict, some deep issues. It was such anguish, such a mental strain on him that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he went to the cross for my sake, he's praying and literally sweating blood. That doesn't feel like peace. But you know what that was? That was the greatest peacemaking mission in history. He stepped in to the problem and he brought peace. That's who he is and what he does. We've been reading the book of Isaiah, these prophecies about Jesus. Next week we'll turn back two chapters to Isaiah chapter 7 and see how Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us.